feel more guilty and judged by God every time they fail and fall into worry and anxiety. And those things are just rampant in our society today. And I don't think Jesus would tell us these things if he also didn't give us a way to stop doing that if we're supposed to. You must have a viable alternative to anxiety or worrying and being unduly concerned about things. And if you're going to be able to stop being anxious, Jesus has the remedy for you. And by the way, so uh, we need to listen to what Jesus says. We also are going to have to make a choice. Our choice is going to be a matter of faith. And we'll talk about that as we go. So what is it that can keep us from worrying and having anxiety? And that's been a big problem in our society uh, as a whole. I want to read you a, uh, an illustration here. And uh, it is an art out of an article that is entitled, The Deeper Roots of Youth Anxiety. The Deeper Roots of Youth Anxiety. Uh, thanks in part to COVID and what everything uh, happened there during all that with schools especially and kids not being able to go to school. Anxiety and depression went through the roof with our roof with our uh, young people. So this is about deeper roots of youth anxiety. It's by a college professor named Joseph E. Davis and he tells a story about one of a growing number of students who are struggling with deep anxiety. So here's what he says. He's talking about somebody named Megan, probably not her real name. Megan was a, is a 19-year-old scholarship student at a first-rate university. She is frustrated and despairing of herself. She explains that she is attending what she calls her safety school, and she wants to show that I should be somewhere better than this school and she's going to do that by acing all of her classes and being the president of 40 organizations on campus. But, she adds, that is really not happening. I am, if anything, it turns out, to be a mediocre student. And that just makes me so angry at the world and then for me for not being the best person. Going on, although she wants to impress someone, she says, I end up being impressively unimpressed. And that crushes me. Uh, I'm adding to this. This is what anxiety or worry and being unduly concerned can do to any person if they don't take care of it the way Jesus asked them to take care of it. So what does Jesus say? Well, take your Bible now and let's look at Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Jesus teaches this way in the sermon. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Okay, now Jesus knows there's people that are going to react to that. Okay, Jesus, you're commanding me, don't be worried. And you know, as a matter of fact, that I worry every day. And you know that I can't stop worrying. So now I'm going to feel guilty because he said, don't do it. But what, what do I do, Lord, so that I can stop doing it? How can I make it so I don't do that anymore? For this reason, Jesus said, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. So there's some basic things we need every day, nor for your body as to what you will put on, another basic. Jesus asked this question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And we're, to, we're supposed to answer to that, yes, it is. Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not worth much more than they? The answer is yes, I am worth more than birds. And who of you, by being worried or anxious, can add a single hour to his life? The answer is no one. As a matter of fact, if you worry, uh, the, the best thing you have going for is you're probably going to take away from some of the time of your life. And why are you worried about clothing? Look at how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. And the reason that he's saying that is because Solomon is, uh, is, has a lot to do with lilies of the valley and lilies of the field in his Old Testament writings. And as we saw in my class this morning in the Song of Songs, so people are going to associate Solomon and lilies. And here Jesus is saying, Solomon, in all of his glory, and he was glorious, he was a very rich and wealthy king, he wore the best stuff possible every day, Solomon was not clothed like one of these lilies of the field. But God, if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today, and tomorrow it is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Ouch, that hurts. <laughs> Now I might feel a little bit more guilty because Jesus said, if I'm worrying, it has to do something with my faith, and I don't have enough of it. Jesus says, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, and he's talking about those who don't know God, eagerly seek all these things. All right? So the difference is between not worrying and not having anxiety and people that eagerly seek all these things. They're consumed with it. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So I don't need to eagerly seek those things because I have a Father that cares about me and he already knows exactly what I need. So Jesus says, instead of worrying, do this. But seek first, in verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So that comes before food, it comes before water, it becomes something that I do before I worry about clothing or those other things in life that seem to be so necessary. But first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things that we are worried about, that we're anxious about, all these things will be added to you. Who's going to add them to us? God is. God is. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. You see, each day has enough trouble of its own. And what he means is without living the future today, every day. The answer to what we do with anxiety and worry is in the text. It's in verse 30. And we're going to talk about that as we go along. If you're following along in your bulletin with those notes, uh, the first point that we're going to make is about verse 25, where it says this, don't worry, life is more important than food, water, or clothing. God is just wanting us to see that these are things that are really not things we should be concerned about. Why? Because God's going to give us what we need in that area. Why would you worry about what God is going to give you? We have to make a decision. We have to make a change of mind. Am I going to choose to continue to worry and be full of anxiety every day? Or am I going to make a different choice, the choice God wants me to make here? He's saying, don't worry. So I already know it's bad. I already know I shouldn't do it. But I need to know how I can do it. But the Lord points out to us these things. 
Jesus has anticipated the response from his disciples. Remember, this is in a context about his teaching in verse 24, where he said, you can't serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, or cling to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And that's a big concern for people. And, and speaking to that, he gives us this text. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. All right, because he just got through talking about that in verse 24, where he called on us to serve God, not the wealth of our material goods. The question the disciples might have had would go like this. If I concentrate my life on the kingdom of God, how am I going to take care of my own personal needs, my own personal life? We think about Peter standing there when he was hearing these words. Now, it doesn't say that Peter had kids, but it does say he has a wife. And Peter might have asked, well, what about the needs of my family? What about the needs of my wife? How do I take care of them if I'm just focusing on God and his kingdom? I have noticed that Jesus makes a lot of blanket statements and allows each of us to then work those out in detail of how we're going to respond to what he said in our own life. He doesn't give us the specifics of how not to not worry. He gives us an example but what does that look like in my life? Because my life is different than your life. You might worry about things that I don't worry about. I might worry about things you don't worry about. But we're to take the principle that he gives us and apply it to this plague of anxiety and worrying. And if Jesus is saying, don't worry about this, just worry about the kingdom, that brings up many questions. Questions like this. Should we all sell everything that we have and give it to the poor? Is that what Jesus is calling on us to do? Is it wrong for me to own a house? Should I not own a house? How do I plan meals for the family each week if I don't think ahead about what's coming down the, the road here and what we need to do and everybody's activities? Am I putting this world ahead of the kingdom if I focus on material things, even in a small way? What is Jesus saying? And so people ask, well, Jesus, what do you expect me to do? Well, has anyone ever done this? Has anyone ever just put aside their own life and said, I'm going to live my life for Jesus? And uh, fortunately, the answer is yes. There, is, uh, there are people that have done that. If you look back in Matthew to chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, he introduced us to a person that was all about Jesus and really nothing about himself. All right? I'm not saying that everybody has to do that because uh, if everybody did that, we would soon be in poverty and uh, nobody could help anybody else. We'll talk about that. But here's a man who did it. It says in chapter 3, verse 1 of Matthew, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we find this guy that pops in out of nowhere. We don't know what his background is, except that we know who his mom and dad were. And, and he just pops on the scene. What is he? What did he do before he became a preacher? I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't say. God says that's not important. But what he's doing is that he's preaching. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, so Isaiah talked about John the baptizer, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of, of Yahweh, make his paths straight. All right, so what was this man like? Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was a locust and wild honey. He ate locusts and wild honey. I probably have eaten wild honey. I never ate a locust. I've had more good things to eat than that. I've always had better clothes than a camel's hair suit. 
I think that'd be a little itchy. But that's what John had. That's how he lived. And by the way, you might notice that with prophets who give their lives completely over to God, often their ministries don't last long because somebody kills them. John's going to have about three years, and then he's done. But everything that he had, he concentrated on Jesus. So don't say that there's no one who's ever done this. Here is a man who completely trusted in God for everything that he had, everything that he needed, and his focus was on the ministry, the mission that God gave him. So we have to ask ourselves, what's my focus on? What is my ministry? Jesus' ministry was John's whole life. That's the point. Now, I don't agree with the theology of this group, but the Franciscan monks are a good example of this in Catholicism. They vow to a life of intense prayer, intense penance, intense poverty, chastity, obedience, and charity. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are those who take the words of the Lord literally. And you know what? God takes care of them. But I also know that Franciscan monks sometimes have their hands out. They need money to eat, and sometimes they do that. And so there needs to be other people there that might support some of them uh, to do that uh, particular ministry. Note, please, that Jesus taught not to worry about your food, your drink, and your clothes. He did not tell us not to work. Catch that. He didn't say anything about not working. By the way, Paul was a bivocational preacher. In other words, he supported himself with his tent making, but he also carried out his mission. Jesus uh, didn't have a place to lay his head. He told one of the people who wanted to follow him. The Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a place I call home. I'm, I'm a traveling evangelist. If you want to follow me, just make sure you understand that. See, everyone's relationship to the material world must be determined by the teachings that Jesus gives here. And it's not my, my goal to tell you how to do that. My goal is to tell you we need to do that. And then you and Jesus work that out. It is a personal decision. All of this is a personal decision, how much you uh, are going to do that Jesus tells you to do. You remember what he told the Old Testament people in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9? What he said was, look, there's poor people in the land. There's people that are, are not doing well. So when you go out to harvest your field, leave the corners of your field. Now, it's up to the poor people to come out and pick it up. It's up to the poor people to come out and gather it. You don't have to do that for them, but leave the corners of your field. And so everybody, oh, okay, got it. And then they go out there. You would go out there with your combine, and you'd start going around and say, I need to do something for the poor in the community. They'll have to come out and get it. And I go back and I read that text, and it says, leave the corners of your field for the poor. And you flip through a few pages, you go back and forth and say, well, how much are the corners? How much do I leave? How much shows that I'm godly and how much shows I'm not godly? Where does he tell me how much is that? Is it, is it 10 feet in on this side or is it 20 feet in? Is it 30 feet in? Is it a foot? How do I do that? And God's not going to tell you how to do that. He said, leave the corners of your field. So this farmer over here might say, you know what? I take that to mean that God wants me to leave as much as I can afford to leave. He leaves a 30-foot swath. Somebody over here says, I don't think God wants me to leave the whole thing, but what I'm willing to give to the Lord and to his work, I'm going to give 10 feet. And so God leaves it up to you to decide, what am I going to do about that command? How am I going to, how am I going to do that? He didn't prescribe it for us. You know why? Because he wants that to be a decision between your heart and his. And so you have to make up your mind. John the Baptist made up his mind in a way that I never have. And you never have. Jesus lived in a way none of us ever have. 
but that's, that's the great example. There's others like Paul that worked for a living and still ministered. Let's move on to verses 26 and 30. Jesus teaches us that we are worth more to God than anything else in his creation. So what Jesus said, because that's true, my friends, trust me. Jesus said, because that's true, trust me. Everything else in this creation is not as worth as much as you are to him. And there's a lot of things in our creation that hold great value, diamonds, gold, silver. Jesus said, eh, that's, that's not even valuable. You're valuable. So in verse 26, Jesus illustrates the art of not worrying. And we mean by that not being anxious or unduly concerned or having a fear of the unknown, which is what anxiety is, a fear of the unknown about the needs of human life. Jesus says, don't worry about that. Okay, Jesus, why? Well, Jesus uses the birds of the air as an illustration of his principle to live by faith. He says, well, just, just look outside and let's see what the birds are doing. All right, so I'm not talking about people that have a pheasant farm or a quail farm or something like that, okay? So my comments uh, don't, don't apply to that uh, because I'll get in trouble if I do that. Jesus uses birds. He says, look, birds work all the time to eat, but they are not employed. They have no storage facilities. I looked it up online. There is no such thing as the Kansas City Board of Bird Seed for birds. Despite this oversight of birds, the Father feeds every one of them all around the world every day. God has covered his world with seeds, and the birds go out and find them. Sometimes when I'm in here praying in the morning, I can watch birds out here that are uh, roaming through our grass, and they're eating something. I can go out there and look at it and say, well, it looks like dirt. But they're finding seeds. The, the, the Father left them there for them to eat, and he takes care of them. I've never seen a bird. I've seen people. I had a couple uh, the last few weeks come to the door looking for money, looking for gas, looking for things to help them. I've never had a bird knock on the front window uh, with his little, little claw out asking for a handout. Now, I could give them some rice. You don't give them rice, do they? Puff up and die. You give them something else. You know? See, I don't, even know how to, I don't even know how to feed a bird. You know, somebody have bird feeders, but, you know, you don't do bird chores, right? Uh, and Jesus said, look, they're all over the world. They're everywhere. Think about who feeds them. And he says, it's me. I feed them all the time. God does bird chores for them. The birds are always looking for a handout. And they find it every day because God left his hand out with the seeds that they need to eat. The word look has the idea of learn carefully from. All right, so what we're talking about here is Jesus said, hey, look carefully. Notice the birds. I have put clues in creation about who I am and what I do. And if you look at the birds, you'll find out I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. Uh, so it means to learn carefully from. All right, so the question is, what are we learning from the birds? Well, here's what we're supposed to learn. Uh, Jesus makes us understand that to God, we are considerably more important than birds are every day. God made his creation so that it supplies what the created need to survive. So don't ever say that you don't matter to God. You do. You do. In verse 27, can any person add one more hour to his life by anxiety or undue concern? God says, can you think your way to a longer life? 
The word for anxiety or worry occurs six times in this one set of verses. People say, I am going to worry uh, until I live an hour longer in my life. How successful are they? They're not. Let me tell you why they're not successful in the book of Job. Better tell you where, right? Job 14. Listen to what Job says uh, in, in verses 1 to 5. Man who is born of a woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, uh, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. You also open your eyes on him and bring him into his judgment with yourself. Who can make the clean out of what is unclean? No one. Then he says, since his days are determined, he's talking about man from verse 1, since our days are determined, who determined them? God did. The number of his months is with you. You're the one that sets the limits, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. In other words, God meticulously planned your birth. He has meticulously planned your death, and that is set in a book in heaven. And God is the one who said it. He said, this is when Greg's going to be born. Uh, floor 2, room 217, Children's Hospital, Denver, Colorado. And this is where Greg is going to die. 1107 North Main, behind the pulpit during a sermon. You want to be here for that. That'll be an exciting day. Hopefully we'll have a potluck to go with it. I don't know. God knows. God knows. And you can't worry your way into a longer life. So with the theology of this... You would think actually worry is going to make you die sooner because it does strange things to your heart and all of your other systems, and you die early, but, you know, it's all planned. Humanly speaking, you don't know the time. It's all about God's time. In verse 28, there's no need to worry about clothing either. There is a teaching illustration for this as well, and Jesus gives it to us. Let me tell you why you don't need to worry about clothing. Here it is. The lilies of the field, clothed by God. Oh, you mean God takes care of lilies in the field and he takes care of birds too? Yeah, is there anything God doesn't take care of? No. He takes care of everything. He keeps stars in their, in their place in the sky. He keeps planets in orbit. He keeps the sun burning. He takes care of all that stuff. So the lilies of the field, God said, are more glorious than the robes that Solomon wore. One of the richest kings that ever lived had everything he wanted. And he dressed well, all right? Uh, I don't know what, you know, the common label was back then for the well-dressed people, but he had it. And he says the lilies don't, uh, uh, they don't work for any of that. And God gave them something that's better than him. And they don't do that on their own. They've never spun yarn. They didn't make something good-looking for themselves to wear every day. They just grow and become what God want them, wants them to be. So in verse 29, without their effort, the lilies clothing is far beyond the glory of what Solomon wore. And what's the point? Jesus said, God clothes each of them. You get it? You think you're not worth more than a field of lilies? So in verse 30, since God takes care of clothing, the grass of the field, which is temporal, how much more will he take care of your needs? We are who are from here on out eternal. Grass isn't eternal. Lilies aren't eternal. Birds aren't eternal. We are. That means something to God. We are greater than that which God has measured us by. 
in this teaching. God cares for his creation, but nothing like he cares for you. Flowers, lilies, they're not made in the image of God. Birds are not made in the image of God. You are. You carry his image with you every day, all day long. The Bible kind of indicates we should act like that, that we are the image of God. God cares for his creation. But then Jesus decides to end it with this because he's chastising us because what we need to overcome worry is faith. Is he in charge? Yes. Why do we like to pretend that he's not in charge? Why do we like to pretend like he doesn't know what's going on? He can't handle this situation. Of course he can. And if Satan can get you to be afraid and to have worry, then it's going to kill your faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. The answer to stop worrying is choose rather to believe. Choose to give up worry and say, I'm, I'm done with that. I've spent enough time doing that. I choose today to have faith in a God who cares about me, who I'm more important to than anything else that he's created. And he's got me. He'll take care of me. He took care of the birds. He took care of the lilies. He takes care of the grass of the field. He'll take care of me. And it's an issue of belief. But it hurts when he says, you know, says this to us. This is, this is ouch territory. Uh, Jesus ends this with, you of little faith. The reason you're worrying is because you don't have faith. The reason you're going to have anxiety is because you don't have faith. Somehow you think God's not in control, and you are. You're wrong. Now, uh, you have little faith. This is a compound Greek word here. Little means that which is few, small, or short. This is not going to be the first time Jesus tells his disciples, you have little faith. There's a guy going to be walking on some water for a while, then he falls in. And Jesus indicates that uh, there's, a, there's a faith problem here. God cares for our needs, like the need not to worry. And it is based squarely on the matter of faith. And you say, well, that's too easy. No, it's not. It's a powerful answer to the problem. You will note that Jesus is building faith into every lesson that he gives us. Um, my allergies are bad. Hang on. He builds the lesson of faith into every lesson that he's giving us in the Sermon on the Mount. I wonder if that means something. Finally, in verses 31 to 32, or close to finally, the pagans are anxious because they have no faith. They're Gentiles. We are convinced that God knows what we need, and he can supply it. Do you ever worry about the necessities of life? Um, since we're having communion, I'm not going to read these, but you have them in your bulletin. In 2 Corinthians 18, 12 to 15, Paul is directing the church, look, if you have somebody that has a need, you give out of your excess to that person. And he says, it's not so that you become poor. That's why we don't go out and sell our houses and our, quit our jobs. You give to them so that there's equity. I don't have people in the church that have nothing and other people that have everything. Uh, the Lord expects us to share with those who are in need. He expects equality. And so uh, we have to have something to give at times, and so it's okay to have a job. The church is tasked with caring for the needy. The same thing is in 1 Timothy 6, 7 to 8. You can read that later. But I do want to read 1 Kings 17, 6. Here's a guy that just stood against one of the great kings of Israel. And uh, he's, being, uh, he's being chased down. They're going to try to kill him for it. So he heads out into the wilderness 
and uh, he didn't think to bring a backpack, and he doesn't have a water jug, and he doesn't have food. You know, he doesn't have MREs ready to go or anything like that. But Elijah the Tishbite is running away, and he goes out into the wilderness, and it says in 1 Kings 17, 6. So picture him. He's out in the wilderness. He's by a brook, the brook Kareth, and uh, he's east of the Jordan. He's on the run. He's got nothing. He doesn't even have a fire stick. <laughs> It's not going to be able to start, a, start a, a fast fire with anything like that. But it says this. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the, book, the brook. You know, people go out on this alone mission and they practically starve to death, some of them. Uh, Bear Grylls would never say, go out, go out in the wilderness and let God take care of you. <laughs> But God takes care of people in the wilderness. I don't know what kind of meat the ravens brought him. I don't know if he had, if it was cooked already. <laughs> Maybe he could cook it. But they took care of his needs when there wasn't anything there for him. God sent birds. Did you notice that he gave an illustration about birds? And now he's using them to take care of his, his servant. So when the whole truth is known, there have been Christians who have starved and or who have been deprived. God has a good and perfect will. It doesn't mean that that can't happen to somebody. It means that's his will for you to glorify him. But it's rare. That's because we are also his servants. We are sheep for the slaughter. In verse 32, anxiety is quelled by a firm commitment to the power of God. In another place, in, in Matthew 22, Jesus uh, chastises some people because they're uh, talking about an issue of uh, something happening in heaven, and they don't see how it can happen. And uh, Jesus ends uh, his, his talk with them uh, by, by reminding them this. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken. You do not understand the scriptures. And their debate is over uh, this lady who had seven husbands and whose husband is she going to have in heaven. And Jesus says, uh, you are mistaken. You don't understand the theology of heaven. You do not understand the scriptures. And then he adds, nor the power of God. Hmm. I want to tie that back to this. If I'm afraid inside, if I have anxiety, if I have fear of the unknown, if I have worry, if I'm at the point where I, I can't stop thinking about something because it's just on my heart all the time and I'm worrying about it, what I need is a good dose of faith and to change my mind. I don't have to worry. I can put it in God's hands. That's all he wants us to do. Do you believe in the power of God? We'll find out if you're worrying or not, whether you believe in the power of God. Can he handle your problem? Is your problem bigger than any problem God has ever run into? And there's no way to tell whether God can handle a problem that big. I don't think so. I think there's a lot of people who had a lot, lot bigger problems than what anything we've had. And God took care of those. Anxiety is quelled, put to shame, done away with by a firm commitment in the power of God. We are not unbelievers, but we are believers. And Jesus knows what we need, and Jesus will supply it. Change your mind and believe that by faith.
And then in 33 to 34, God says, let me tell you what you should be about. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and do not worry about tomorrow. God's given you enough to do today. Do it. Focus on it. Get it done. He'll take care of everything else that you need. See, he wants him to be our, our focus, not problems. Satan is using problems and anxiety to steer us away from the service of God. Don't let Satan do that. And then we hear Jesus say to us, oh, you of little faith. Well, what must I need? Faith. Faith. God will take care of it. We continually seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And these things that he's talking about, he says he will supply. Let me worry about those things. This is the key. Seek his kingdom first. It's my priority. Jesus is asking us to get our priorities straight. Stop worrying about the things of life that I'm going to take care of and start taking care of the business I sent you to do. You can answer why his kingdom is more important than your kingdom and mine, can't you? He seems to think his kingdom is more important than our little kingdom and the things we worry about with ours. We live in biblical times, friends. I fully believe the end is drawing near for the church. Now more than ever, we need to prioritize his kingdom we do that by adding men and women, boys and girls, to that kingdom through faith and then training them to serve God. We are important to Jesus, and other people are important to us to reach them. So in verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. It'll worry for itself. It has enough worry for itself. Each day has its own wickedness and depravity without you and I worrying about all the days ahead of us. Live one day at a time. Trust God. That's the key. Trust God and take one day at a time. Anxiety will overwhelm you. That's what it does if you let it. Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Dr. Comfort said this. Live for the Father's reward, not for the crowd's applause. That would help us a lot. The religious leaders of Jesus' day cared more about their status and how many prayer tassels they had on their robes and how many phylacteries they had uh, on their bodies and so they could look religious. That's what they cared about. Uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day did not have the right attitude, motive, and priority in regard to the kingdom. They're all about their kingdom. That was because they were in reality evil inside. Uh, they wanted the, the uh, Romans not to mess with their, their power. It was about them. It wasn't about God. Well, friends, we are not pagans. We are not unbelievers. Therefore, we don't handle life like the people do who have no hope and have no trust and no faith in God. We just don't do it that way. Please recognize that God doesn't expect you to be perfect for him. Uh, to love him uh, and care about him is all he's asking. And he loves you, and he can't love you more, and he can't love you less than he loves you. And he never will love you less. It's okay if you mess up, he'll forgive you. Come back. See, this is a matter of faith and what he's trying to teach us. In this area and others, faith heals. Faith heals. It's very powerful. Don't forget about the power of God. Faith defeats worry and anxiety. It frees you from its chains. What you saw in the uh, film this morning is Psalm 46.10. Be still. Cease striving. And know, believe it, trust it, and know that he is God. Well, why does that matter to me? Well, it's because he loves me. He cares about me. 
He watches over me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. That's why I care. And it says, and know that he is God. So do yourself a favor and obey the God that loves you. A lot of times we bring worry into our life by our own sin. Obey him. Number two, we have no real excuse for putting our own kingdom and our kingdom endeavors above our work for his kingdom and his righteousness. Whose kingdom comes first? And then finally, as we care for the things of God, he cares for all the things that we need. We're going to take some time. I know I'm uh, out of time, so um, we'll make this uh, not last very long. But we do want to have communion together since we didn't get to have it uh, together last time. Well, because I wasn't here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this passage, have somebody pray, and then we'll partake together. Um, are you going to pray play during that, Greg? Okay. So that's what we will do. It says in Matthew 26, 26, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you that I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until that day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The point is, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this meal is a way for you to remember what Jesus did for you, and it's a way for you to say publicly, I belong to Jesus. I am in covenant with Jesus. So you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion here. You just have to be a member of the family of God, somebody that did enter that covenant. At some point in your life, you said to Jesus, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I can't do anything about my sin except believe that you paid for my sins on the cross, and in believing, I will have eternal life, and my sins will be forgiven. And that's how we pass from death into life. And Jesus begins his transformation of us to make us more like Christ. And so in this meal, we remember together what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so it's a time of thanksgiving. I'm going to ask Randy if he would pray for the bread. get ready to take the bread together. With this, we're saying we belong to the body of Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. We have put faith in him. And we believe that we'll do this in his kingdom with him someday soon. Do this in remembrance of I'm going to give you a minute in the privacy of your heart before the Lord to just thank Him for your salvation. Thank you for loving me.
I thank him that he didn't just love you for your salvation, but he loves you every day in your life and wants to care about you. Let's prepare our cups and take together. This represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. It is by this that we admit to others and to him we are in covenant with them. Let's do this in remembrance of them. If you would please stand, we will close by singing, I Stand in Awe.